good vibes only. Mm-hmm. That to him is toxic positivity. That to him is somebody saying, don't speak, don't come in here and vent, don't open up, don't be emotional, don't tell me if you're having a bad day. Only good vibes here. Mm-hmm. I'm staying in my bubble. Don't come and, you know, infiltrate me. Welcome to Chill the Fuck Out, a non-self-help, self-help show that goes beyond surface-level well-being and explores some light, entertaining, and positive ways we can improve our mental health and well-being. By interviewing some expert guests and taking a look at the topic of mental health in a wider context, we really do learn to chill the fuck out. You've used the term being othered, and I wanted to ask about that. As gay men, I think that we're primed for mental health struggles down the line. Yeah. You agree? Have you read The Velvet Rage? Uh, I have read The Velvet Rage. <laughs> there you go. How come How come, How come? come you think that is? Um, or, or what lesson do you take from The Velvet Rage most personally? The lessons that I learned mm. from The Velvet Rage are that as men, from young boys, we are raised in a toxic culture which encourages us to be strong, mm-hmm. don't show emotion, uh, follow order, but also be assertive. Um, there's a complete rule book that is unspoken of the of how you assert yourself as a male mm-hmm. and how you carry yourself through the world, your relationship with the boys, your relationship uh, in school with uh, teachers and education and how far you're willing to go, where you stand in the hierarchy of, am I tall enough? Am I a jock? Am I too effeminate? How you treat women, how you correspond and interact with your caregivers, your primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a way that meant I had to wear many hats. And I remember being laughed at when I wanted to go off and start hairdressing training. I remember being told that if somebody hits you, hit them back. Mm. <laughs> and when that happened, in in like we were quite young when that happened, I remember getting into a lot of trouble for it all the time. And I was definitely othered as a black man. I think that just added another layer onto it. I don't know. I just think male culture is so flawed. I think culture is so flawed in how it treats people and what it expects the end results to be. I think be honest, be kind, be open, tell the truth. Mm. But from reading The Velvet Rage, I learned a lot about myself in the fact that we are wearing masks Mm -hmm. consistently. I want my mother to be proud of me. I want my dad to know that I'm emulating him and I'm going to be like him in some way and he'll want that. I want to be taking all the best bits of both of these people. If you're blessed enough to have both of them around, I wasn't. So I, I kind of honed in on, on my mom, on my grandparents. That was my, mm-hmm. that was my triad of upbringing. Yeah. So there's a lot, and you do learn to wear a lot of masks, especially when you're starting to figure out your sexuality. There was a lot of stuff in there as well that I found really interesting in the book about I love the way we've turned this into Oprah's book club. Yeah. But if you're gay, read The Velvet Rage. If you're not gay, read The Velvet Rage because it will explain so much about the worker mentality and the psychology of gay men and why we all think that it's okay to be immaculately clean and perfectly uh, put together and we all have these volatile relationships with our mothers and just all the smaller nuances, but it'll really teach you a lot. One of the things I found really what's the word interesting shall we say is how gay men when they're kind of coming to terms with their sexuality from quite young will subconsciously choose a partner for hookups or to meet up with or to spend time with who they know is straight or they know is in a position where they are never gonna choose you 
And when you subconsciously choose somebody, knowing that it's not going to work out, so then you have an excuse to say, oh, well, yeah, we were just playing around. We got together. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, he's dated girls or whatever, but well, it's because he's straight. When you've already got an answer and an excuse for why your relationships are going to work, are going to fail and flop. That to me was a big awakening because that's something that I definitely dabbled with. And I realized, Mm -hmm. wow, I'm actually, I've got that much self-hatred. I don't want myself to succeed that much because I don't truly believe that I'm worth it. I'm worthy of it. As soon as I realized that, I was like, ah, cat's out the bag. It's over for you bitches now. It is over, period. That's it. Like, that's it. And, you know, really, I've been a relationship guy ever since. Yeah. You see, I, I walked around very naive. Like I said, I was, I was at drama school um, where most people were gay. So I actually went from like 18 to 21 in a very... It's just a phase. <laughs> homonormative environment. I was naive of then going into the other world mm. where most people are straight. It's full of microaggressions. It's something that you notice am I going to mention that I'm gay or am I not going to mention that I'm gay? It is something that I noticed I then had to start navigating in my, in my, my mid twenties, which besides from coming out and being in high school, mm. there was a really nice grace period there where I didn't feel like I was negotiating the people I was with or the space I was in. So I was late to realize that, oh, I'm in a heteronormative world and I'm constantly deciding how I interact with that for my own protection or safety. Mm-hmm. And that was... Just really eye-opening. Yeah. Do you find that you pass? You can mix with straight people, heterosexual people, and they don't guess your sexuality? No, not at all. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm flaming, like there's no way I'm hiding my sexuality. Oh no, everyone, <laughs> I think, I think, I, I think I'm obviously gay. I don't think you are. Huh? I don't think but it's do a positive what? or a negative. No, I was going to say, I was, I was, it's interesting because I, like, I want to touch on that because, because my mum, bless my mum, she's lovely. She's ne- She's always been completely cool with me being gay, but she'd love to think, but people can't tell you're gay. Like, that's how you win at being gay. And it's right. like, no, it's like, no, like, I'm gay and people can tell I'm gay and that's a good thing. But right. I do think, yeah, like, me and my partner used to do this. It was like, well, you're more camp than me, you're more camp than me. Like, it was a bad, it's just yeah. so, but once again, that's homophobia within the, within the gay community. And it's, and internalized, it's homophobia. internalized homophobia. And I just found that so interesting. But no, I, I can, I'm very friendly. Like, I've had straight flatmates before. Like, I have no barrier towards hanging out with like a group of lads. Yeah. But I don't think they ever think I'm straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. doesn't matter. So. I asked that question because yeah. I've never really been in a situation where people don't really know. Mm-hmm. So if you're, the way you've described it as being in a homonormative environment mm-hmm. and then going into a heteronormative environment, that's sort of, um, that's new mm. to my brain. So when I was hearing it, I was thinking, so if you're sat with everyone, do you then have to go through the rigmarole of having to say, I fucking love that word, rigmarole, belted. Rigmarole, that's a rigmarole. good one. Rigmarole. You then have to go through that whole nonsense of having to explain to people, oh, no, I don't have a girlfriend. And people don't normally ask. It's not the first thing that heteronormative people will say, like, how do you identify? What are your pronouns? Like, that's a very, that's a very uh, queer culture yeah. thing to do. And I'm hoping it's going to become more heteronormative for that to be a thing. But... I just wondered, was it difficult for you if people would be like, oh, what you reckon of a bit of skirt there? Oh, tazzy, yeah. Then you've got to be like, Clive, I've got a boyfriend. (laughs) Thanks so much. See, that's the thing. So here's the thing. That's why I think people can tell I'm gay. I don't get that in the UK. I think people would ask me, 
if I have a partner, I think people have picked up subtly or I've noticed that I'm relatively quick to mention like my partner or something which just lets people know. If I'm ever in America, mm-hmm. people don't assume I'm gay. I think they just think I'm British. <laughs> just British. I'm just British. <laughs> so are you I, gay are or you just gay? European? And I found myself in that not even awkward, European. not even European now, <laughs> where, wherever we are. So I find myself in that position if I'm in America quite a bit and I do find that awkwardness of what do I say? How do I bring it up? Oh shoot. I've let it go that first time. Is it going to be odd if I bring it up now? It's just, yeah, it's, it's something just really thinking back to everything you said about learned by ADHD. It's a, it's an obstacle I was dealing with constantly that I didn't realize Mm. was an obstacle that other people aren't having to deal with. Yeah. And I think just learning that I've just like learning about my ADHD, learning more about the fact I am a gay man in a heteronormative world. I have just had so much more compassion for myself and I've been able to look back to see why certain things might have worked the way they did. It's been a really good eye opener, but I went through my entire twenties, like you said, thinking there's some glitch in me that is very personal, very wounded that I need to heal, which some, some ways was right. Some ways was wrong, but it also wasn't completely within me. There was a world that I belonged in. Because I work in like self-help spiritual industry. That's mm-hmm. the books we publish at the publishing company. And I've always loved it. And so many teachers I love. Thank God for Oprah. Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> thank God. Um, but one thing that I never stopped and thought was so many of these celebrity spiritual teachers were straight, were straight people, mm. um, oftentimes from very wealthy backgrounds. Mm all the way I wanted to engage with the teachings of self-help, spirituality, new age. It's like I wasn't quite getting it. And I, and I thought that was personal right. when actually it was realizing there's a portion of my life you can't teach to or speak to. Yeah, And that's just so, it's just so empowering. And that's really where I'm coming at it now from with, like I said, with the publishing company, my business partner in Los Angeles is a black woman. So she's always, she's, she's constantly highlighting ways to me that I cannot notice if we've got four people and they're all white. She'll say, Sean, we need to diversify yeah. the, the people on that, that thing, whatever we're doing. Mm-hmm. But the same way I then notice there's a whole world operating that's not thinking about a queer inclusivity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I it's hope. privilege all over, isn't yeah, it? It's just it is. There's a quote about privilege and it's like, somebody can walk through their life without, oh, this is about white privilege that somebody said to me, if you can walk through your life and do everything you need to do and achieve all those goals, and the fact that you are a certain skin color doesn't hold you back from it, then that's, then that's, that's privilege. your white privilege. Yeah. And that goes, in, that goes across the board in so many different ways. It's not just skin color. It could be sexuality. Mm-hmm. It can be, uh, you know, whereabouts you're located. It can be yeah. class. It can be religion. It can be anything. Yeah. Able-bodied privilege. Ma- mm-hmm. I have so much male privilege. It drives my girls like, yeah, they, they get so annoyed. So, so annoyed that I can just go for a way in the street or do whatever. Oh I yeah. Like, <laughs> stupid. I don't that is, that is the, the definition street. of male privilege. Do you know what? Yeah. <laughs> you can go for a way. Why in the am street. I even saying that? If you're on a festival, it's very handy. Yeah. Or like if you're in the car yeah. and there's like, you, you're, Caught short. As men, we can be practical and make things happen. I'm sure women have got their ways around this as yeah. well. But it's another, it's an obstacle. They have to buy a shiwi. Yeah, yeah that's, there you go. that's a really great micro example of how privilege and obstacles work. It's not that <laughs> <laughs> it's not that it's yeah. How did we get to talking about shiwi? I'm so sorry. No, this it, is me. My I, ADHD is no, it's great. today. Hello. Um, 
But yeah, that's what I was, what was I saying? <laughs> so yeah, when it comes to even psychology or self-help or a lot of, a lot of the positive movement that we see everywhere, which on a whole, I think is a good thing. There's ways in which it breeds a one size fits all yeah. narrative. And there's a lot now on, I did an interview with a woman called Whitney Goodman who wrote the book, Toxic Positivity. Oh, okay. And she was just so insightful because it was really talking about this, this one size fits all method is a disservice to people. Yeah. And the idea that, especially if you go into the realms of new age and spirituality, you, everything's happening to you because of your thoughts or your, not your thoughts, not about that. Um, which once again, I don't completely believe or not believe, but once again, it's this idea that you are the sole problem or cause of everything in your life. Mm. And that as much as I've benefited so much from so much self-help, that's been one that has been like a cause of, self-deprecation like yeah. i'm causing this i'm the problem for this is there a toxic positive belief that you've fallen victim to i was speaking to my brother about this a, a couple of months mm. back where he finds it really really challenging he's got his own issues and mental health challenges that he faces we've had quite different lives we're half siblings so like mm-hmm. we've we've had they've got in the same sort of direction but on very different streets and he finds it really frustrating when people say to him or when he sees good vibes only mm-hmm. that to him is toxic positivity. That to him is somebody saying, don't speak, don't come in here and vent, don't open up, don't be emotional. Don't tell me if you're having a bad day, only good vibes here. Mm-hmm. I'm staying in my bubble. Don't come and, you know, infiltrate me. And if that's your mentality, how can you, consider yourself a fully rounded person that is available, that is approachable, that is, that is capable of empathy, that is going to be a good partner. How can you be a good parent? How can you be anything if you're one thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, and good vibes only. That is the, I think in the book, she writes the, you know, the good vibes only God, where it's like, you know, this idea of, because she's very American, it's very based in God. Mm-hmm. And this idea that it's only God if it's good or it's just that very toxic, constant, almost like neurotic push of I'm spiritual or I'm into well-being or I'm on the positive psychology movement. So everything in my life needs to be good and everything else can stay out. And like you said, it doesn't make, one, it's not achievable, but also it completely shuts you off to where life actually happens. And that's what I've learned, like in my biggest time when I was just so in the new age positive positivity movement it was like oh my god my life was happening and i had nothing to do with it because i was like it has to be good vibes only yeah and that is just not what exists and doesn't yeah. exist for beyonce <laughs> it doesn't do exist you know for what? oprah yeah but i've got a cup in my house i swear to fucking god i have a cup in my mm. house and it says you have the same amount of hours in the day as beyonce and every time I drink from that cup, I feel like it's patronizing me. Well, no, <laughs> it's, it's so funny you said that. It is patronizing because you don't, but I, I don't know what your situation is. She's got about 18 assistants say, running yeah. around, servants, a cook, a cleaner. She's not doing her own laundry. She's not cooking her own dinner. She's, she's. I'm not going to say she's not raising her own kids. I was about to say she's probably not wiping her own ass, oh, yeah, but well, I hope she is. She better be. Well, no, but she'll have some kind of bidet built in toilet. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I used to look once, I think I used to love that saying, you have the same amount as hours a day in Beyonce. I was like, yeah, I do. No, I don't. <laughs> like, Beyonce, I really don't. I really don't. Because yeah, yeah, there's a lot of help. I'm so interested in these self-help books and I'm going to go through your library and your catalog. Oh, I'll send you some. Please do. Because um, I'm currently reading Attached. 
at the moment. Oh, I don't know attached. So attached is, a, is um, attachment styles to relationships and what you can bring mm-hmm. in and out. And I've, I've read like probably about six or seven amazing books. This Have you year. got a favourite? Um, Tame, Untamed. Oh, Glenn, Glenn Doyle. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. I thought that was really, really interesting. And to hear it from a woman's perspective, a female perspective, mm. it just showed so many other notes and colour that I wasn't expecting. And then for it to be like, oh yeah, I... I'm now gay as well. I, I'm attracted to the person. I'm not going to be stereotyped yeah. into this bracket that you think because I'm a woman who likes women, you, you're not going to have the room to categorize me as, or yeah. stereotype me as the stereotype. I keep saying like in any meeting we have with the business, I'm like, no, this is the new, new age. Like the idea that it's only good if it's good or the idea the only way to live is with this permanent sense of joy. Yeah. I was like, we need to bench all of that. Like, yeah. and that's definitely a, I think a post-COVID thing, maybe. I think that mm. was a, because because I know like, gosh, I hate to think back at some of the podcasts and stuff I did when I was like 23 and I was really into spirituality and I was probably pushing that message. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh gosh, like that's just not what I believe anymore. But I think everyone has taken a step forward. Because at one point, I think Good Vibes Only was a, was a, was a positive statement. It was like, I'm yeah. going to feel good. And then quickly it was, it was no longer a positive yeah. statement. So I do think we've jumped in a direction. Do you remember that little bracket of time where everyone was like... <laughs> All lives matter. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Well, <laughs> yes, they do, and they always have. But that's not the point. Yeah, it never was the point, my love. Excuse me, I'm not having it. It's nuts, and I was at a point of my own understanding of racial inequality, having been bra- being raised in a white community as one of the only people of colour. There was maybe two or three people of colour in my entire school in process, in my community. I didn't have any black friends. I Honestly, it was so isolating for me. And I still don't know much about my African culture and my Caribbean culture. I'm in the process of doing my own family tree at the moment. And still trying to figure out my mum's side, which is all Irish and Welsh and Scouse. So I'm still trying to figure out all the parts of it. And at one point when the Black Lives Matter movement was just starting to kick off, I'd, I've would i actually been, oh, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but you know what? It's important that I say it. I actually was at a state in my understanding of it where I was like, all lives matter. It's not just, you know, Black Lives Matter. Everyone's lives matter. But in this moment... We need to focus on the people who are being disadvantaged mm-hmm. the most, the people who are being unlawfully killed just because. So there was a time in my consciousness where I thought, well, this is where I'm up to in my understanding and that's all right. When, when I seen it in print, the times had changed and we'd already realized that that was factually incorrect and it's actually dismissive of the pain and it kind of just washes over the amount of prejudice and slavery and the fact that there's still streets in this city. I walk around and have cocktails in the docks where black people have had bricks thrown at them till they never came back up to the surface. And I sit and drink cocktails there now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We can't wash over the shit that's gone on. We have to acknowledge it. So yeah, don't say all lives matter. Obviously everyone is important and everyone matters, but it's, Stay stay focused and stay present and stay with it because things will keep changing. I'm having conversations with my grandparents and my parents and my aunties and uncles about pronouns. And they're like, but I don't understand. So if you're a they, what does that mean? What's this? <laughs> they're still trying to figure out what the definitions are for LGBTQIA, all of it. I was like, intersex. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? They were like, no. I was like, you've got Google. You have Google. 
go find it. Yeah. It's not for everyone else to do your work. No, I completely agree with that because it's, I found it like very convenient and ignorant and I cannot speak to being black. I can speak to, I remember it was, it was during lockdown, me and some of my old friends were getting together on Zoom to do quizzes, classic mm-hmm. thing. And I did like an LGBTQ quiz. And that was one of the questions I asked, like how many of them things can you name? And people just came at me like, that's not real. I think it was demisexual. They were like, that's not real. It's like, it's awful convenient for you straight white man, for that not to be a thing. And yeah, yeah, it is. I find it so bizarre. Once again, it goes to as much as I feel that like, so let's, I was going to, cause <laughs> woof, do you want to know what? I'm going to have so much fun putting this together. Honestly. Okay. Cause I was going to ask you about this and I didn't know if you want to speak about it, but you do. Mm-hmm. During lockdown, George Floyd was murdered. Yes. Yep. That was just as momentous a thing as, as the, as the coronavirus lockdown in mm-hmm. regards to something that has changed us forever. Um, so much I didn't know that I learned so much about white privilege, so much about white fragility. And I just, that was a time that I like to think so many of us took a leap forward in understanding. Like, of course, on one sense, all lives matter is not untrue, but that's not what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. What was that entire experience? What was the internal experience of that for you? I gained with each day that it went, I felt like the pressure cooker was turning up and up and up. I reached my limit of, I've been at home alone. I've lost my work. My savings are gone to make sure I can pay for my home. I don't want to like, you know, lose my mortgage or whatever, lose my house. I was isolated. I was under a lot of pressure and I was sick and tired of getting on my hands and knees and begging for a scrap of what People who have the same training as me, have come from the same TV show as me, got the same wig I got, got the same dress I got, got everything. Yeah. And I was having to beg just to get a, a grain of the respect that they were getting. I still notice it now when it comes to fees and things, like I'll get less, yeah. I'll do the same job as my white counterpart, but I'll get paid less. Yeah. Just stupid things. The white fragility, another thing, like I've seen it recently where somebody was so out of control that I had to say, you're doing, you're, you're being a Karen now mm-hmm. and you need to stop. Screaming, crying, physically putting their hands on me, screaming and shouting. Mm-hmm. And the minute that I was like, enough, I'm the bad guy because I'm the black man shouting or raising angry. his voice or yeah. angry at a white woman in tears. So it's a narrative and you mix an alcohol to that. And it's, yeah. you know, Mesa. but I reached, <laughs> I reached the apex of what I was willing to take and how much, more, I was going to not say anything. And that has spearheaded me doing interviews and podcasts and opening up and talking and sharing my true, real, authentic experience. So I'm not going to hide it no more. I'm going to let people know they were lightening my skin. I'm going to let people know I was encouraged to not have tattoos. Don't wear snapbacks. Don't use foul language. You need to appeal to your demographic, which is white middle-aged women. Mm -hmm. I work in self-help publishing and that is the, that is the, that has been historically the audience, white middle-aged women, but authors have started to leave them recently saying my black counterpart sold more books than me, but I'm being paid more than them. So Uh they're calling it out and they're walking away from it. That's good. And yeah. And it's just so interesting. And it's, it's really well, like I'm just negotiating my entire life right now because that's the industry I work in as Mm -hmm. a white person, but seeing that actually it's it's appealing to one audience mm. and it's pushing a very normative philosophy. Yeah. And that is, I just like that 
in my own experience, I can see, I can see that now. That's so cool that you're aware of it because once you know better, you do better. Absolutely. And I think, and I like to think, and I don't want to be naive. And that's why the George Floyd experience, I think will, I mean, it's already in history, but it will be in history books. Even someone like me who was living a very, what I would call progressive life. Mm -hmm. I was really happy that happened. When I looked at our authors, when, when they, I was really happy to see we had a really inclusive author yeah. database and that had happened just, you know, subconsciously, mm-hmm. but I'd never checked before. I wasn't right. checking, you know, are we representing various voices? Mm-hmm. I was grateful that we were, yeah. but I'd never actually checked. And I think in so many ways that that was a jump forward. Yeah. You've been listening to Chill the Fuck Out. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to inspire as many people as I can with these episodes, so I'd really appreciate it if you shared the show with a friend or a family member who'd find it useful. Also, please leave me a review and let me know what topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show. For more information about who I am and what I do, visit heyshawnpatrick.com or email me directly at sean at heyshawnpatrick.com.